Hey guys, when you search for Bible-related stuff, virtually all the results are from Christian pastors and apologists. Yeah, to find real biblical criticism, you need to dig down. Most people never even learn about all the scholarship out there, which debunks a lot of the evangelical claims. Yeah, there's an entire well-funded industry of biased Christian content out there. Our show tries to offer a counter-argument to them, but we rely on our listeners to keep the show going week after week. If you'd like to support the show, please check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Skeptics Bible Project. Thank you to all those supporting us. We hope you enjoy the show. I'm John. And I'm Ben. And this is the Skeptics Bible Project. We read the Bible so you don't have to. I don't care too much for preachers. I don't like to go to church. But I'd hate to meet St. Peter when my body leaves this earth. Hello and welcome to the show. This is the Skeptics Bible Project. Happy to be here with you again today. How are you, Ben? I'm doing fine as usual, John. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. So a lot of people have been messaging us and emailing us about these uh, new commercials that are all over the TV and the internet. Um, the He Gets Us uh, videos, the He Gets Us uh, marketing campaign. And... Um, We've been hearing about it now for a few weeks, and um, you may have seen the most recent ad on the Super Bowl. So um, we thought this was kind of like right up our alley to talk about and dissect and see how biblical or not biblical this is and how it's being received in the general public and then among evangelicals. But uh, Ben, I know you've been looking into a little bit into uh, who's actually putting this campaign out there and um, what their deal is. Yeah, I think that's an important factor. So maybe we'll just go through a little bit of who's behind this campaign, um, because I think it's good to keep that in mind when we're watching these ads. So the He Gets Us campaign um, is a $100 million media investment. So uh, we're talking about a lot of money. Um, It's been popping up on TV screens, billboards, and social media feeds um, since it was launched in 2022. One of the videos, entitled The Rebel, has netted 122 million views on YouTube in the 11 months since it's been up. And um, since the beginning of the year, the Google searches for He Gets Us have actually spiked. So this uh, campaign is gaining traction. Who's behind it? Well, that's an important question. The He Gets Us uh, campaign is a subsidiary of the Servant Foundation, which is a Kansas-based charity that's also known as the Signatary. Um, And its uh, mission statement says that it exists to inspire and facilitate revolutionary biblical generosity. So between 2018 and 2020, the Servant Foundation donated more than $50 million to some other groups like the Alliance for Defending Freedom. Well, what does the Alliance for, for Defending Freedom do? They're a nonprofit that led big policy fights over abortion and non-discrimination laws in the Supreme Court and in states around the country. Um, they've actually been uh, designated as an anti-LGBTQ hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, they helped draft the 2018 Mississippi abortion law. 
um, that actually led to the Supreme Court decision allowing states to ban abortion. They uh, are at the forefront of um, cases where businesses are uh, saying that businesses should be allowed to discriminate against LGBTQ plus customers. Um, James Vanderground, who is a consultant involved in the He Gets Us campaign, told Christian News that the company's goal is to invest about a billion dollars over the next three years towards its branding campaign. And um, it's made up of a diverse group of individuals and entities with the common goal of sharing Jesus's story authentically. Where is this money that's funding this group coming from? Well, David Green is one of the people that's founding it. Um, He's the devout Christian co-founder of the arts and crafts chain Hobby Lobby. Um, And they had uh, famously fought the Obama administration's contraceptive mandate um, to the Supreme Court um, revolving the Affordable Care Act um, in 2014. When Green spoke with conservative pundit Glenn Beck last fall about He Gets Us, he said, you're going to see it at the Super Bowl. He gets us. We are wanting to say, uh, we being a lot of people, that he gets us. He understands us. He loves who we hate. I think we have let the public know and create a movement. So the Servant Foundation and the Alliance for Defending Freedom um, have been like crucial in the fight to limit abortion access and for businesses to refuse service to LGBT customers. Um, they were involved in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health uh, Organization Supreme Court case. Um, it helped draft the uh, Mississippi's restrictive abortion law that led to the case. It uh, fought the long-standing federal regulatory approval for the drug milfepristone, which is like the uh, abortion pill um, that's used in about half of the abortions performed in the United States, trying to basically like create a nationwide a nationwide ban on uh, medicated abortion. And they were involved in uh, 303 Creative LLC versus Alinus, which was a Colorado-based web design. Uh, person who refused to make webs websites pertaining to the marriages of same-sex couples uh the masterpiece cake shop versus colorado civil rights commission involving a baker who refused to make wedding cakes for same-sex couples and uh they have um ties to aaron howley who is the wife of republican missouri senator josh howley she's a senior counsel at the alliance for defending freedom and helped to spearhead efforts to restrict abortion rights and permit anti-LGBT discrimination. Um, Josh Howley was also part of the legal team that represented Hobby Lobby and Green at the Supreme Court in their fight against the Obama, Obama administration. So again, very much tied to a bunch of the who's who's figures in not only the far right, but people that are on the forefront of fighting against uh, the right to choose for women and discrimination in the workplace for LGBT folks. Um, I think that's important context to just remember as we uh, view these ads as a whole. And I think it's also just extremely important to think of the great scale of money that is involved in this campaign. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, and if you watch these ads, and we're going to go through the ads um, for you, and we're going to break them down and talk about the points that they're making, but it's important to say that the things that these people obviously care about are the everything Ben just went through, which is mostly a you know a, an extreme right-wing agenda, anti-LGBTQ um, agenda, and the policies that they are supporting are you know Republican 
right-wing policies now. But if you were just to watch these ads alone, you would not get that impression at all because they are trying to rebrand themselves. So obviously what's happening here is, as we've seen, a decline in the Christian church in America, the evangelical Christian church, is in decline. All the stats show that, all the polling shows that. And they have taken a hit because of this radical politicalization um, that the church has undergone. And so much of white evangelical Christianity now is associated with Christian nationalism, white nationalism, uh, and fascism, that, yeah, they're becoming less popular. So what you're seeing here with the He Gets Us campaign is a giant effort to rebrand the evangelical church as actually a uh, multiracial, diverse, and a group that reaches out to um, refugees, etc. Um, and I think that um, it's fascinating, as I said, we're going to go through it, but it's fascinating that there's really there's been a lot of pushback because the actual evangelicals that are attending these churches still, most of them don't like these ads uh, because it looks a little too ethnic for them. And um, I think that's an ironic point that um, we will get into as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the most amusing ironies is... Um this whole exercise is just a branding exercise. It's finding ways to message, um, but in so doing, they've really like alienated the base that's already there <laughs> because the message is like too user friendly, um, and so they ended up pleasing almost no one with these ads. So I guess we should kind of start going through them. Um, some of them don't have a lot of spoken words. It's just uh, text on the screen, so I'll kind of describe them as we go. And some of them we can actually play the audio for so you can, uh, you can hear it, and then um, we can discuss. So this is, this is just from their website, the hegetsus.com website. And this first commercial is called Be Childlike. So it starts off with um, kind of soft, warm music playing with, Cute pictures of kids, uh, very diverse, um, helping each other out, um, playing with dogs, uh, helping a sick child, uh, sitting on a bus together, listening to music, hugging each other. Uh, it has the uh, now famous viral video of the two toddlers, one white boy and one black boy running up on the street and hugging, um, which is a great video. And then... It says, Jesus didn't want us to act like adults. And then, he gets us. All of us. Jesus. So, I mean, the fact that Jesus says that um, we need to be like children is something that uh, comes from Luke 18, where he says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So, it's not that this is... it's. This clearly has a basis in um, the scripture. I think like part of my issue with these ads is they're so devoid of context. You know, there's nothing about this that's like I object to per se. I mean, it's very, it's like heartwarming imagery. I think it plays on that sort of popular notion that, um, you know, hatred is a learned behavior. And if we could go back to children being children before we learned all this hatred and division, um, we could really like genuinely love people and there may be some um, 
truth to that too. I mean, I don't have a like the explicit message that's contained. I don't have a problem with um, in particular, and I don't think that it's uh, it's something that's not reflective of um, what Christianity teaches. So in Matthew eighteen, Jesus tells us. Um, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So it's talking about having a childlike faith. Um, so, but this video is saying Jesus didn't want us to act like adults. Okay, let's say um, let's say that's what Jesus said, and that's that's the way you want to take it. Well, it wouldn't be the Skeptics Bible Project if I didn't point out the obvious contradiction with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that specifically says when you become a man, you put away childish things. And he's basically saying, like, act like an adult when you're an adult, which is the exact opposite of what this ad is saying. And those kind of contradictions, you know, they run, they run through um, all of Christianity. So anything that he gets us campaign is going to say here, you could probably find a verse somewhere that negates it because um, like we've said on this show over and over um, the bible isn't speaking in one single voice but to be fair this video is not saying anything about paul or the bible it's not saying believe the bible or believe anything else so just on the surface you could say okay this is just kind of like a supporting like a jesus cult that that doesn't take the bible all that seriously and it, and none of these ads talk about the bible and none of these ads really get into any kind of like deep theology um, or orthodox beliefs. It's really coming down on a more visceral level, trying to get you to understand that Jesus was just a regular person like you, to, to identify with that Jesus. I also think it's interesting that they said Jesus didn't want to, uh, us to act like adults. So it talks about Jesus in the past sense, like Jesus was this guy that lived a long time ago. But then the whole ad is called, He Gets Us. So it's, that is the divide between um, just like an earthly guy and him still being there. That's, that's the religion of it. That's, now you're getting into the cult um, belief that says, oh, and, and even though uh, 2,000 years has passed, Jesus is still here with us right now and he's living in my heart. And... Um, and it's a very subtle way to get you from the historical Jesus to the supernatural aspect of Jesus. And it's, it's very subtle how they slip that in there. Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, these things could all, this ads could ultimately be um, just about the historical Jesus. Like none of these claims are, you know, he raised. He was raised from the dead. He gets us, or um, he was the son of God. He gets us. So you know these claims are really they could be just about the historical Jesus. So like, what was the purpose in Matthew and Luke of this childlike faith that was required for salvation? Well, the context in um, the day was that children were a group that was marginalized and treated as less than equal. And I think that's the theme of Matthew and Luke when they're talking about um, who the message of salvation is going out to. It is like the oppressed, the marginalized. the um, But that's like a different implication, even though that may be what the commercial seems to imply. When you look at the, the more in-depth explanation that uh, he gets us gives, they say... Um, so in his culture, children were not regarded the same way as they are today. Okay, that's fine. They were loved by their family to, 
to be certain, but according to many scholars, about a third of children didn't survive to age 14. Consequently, society treated children more like property than people. So what did he mean? Christians often referred to their faith as childlike, being humble enough to place one's trust in a power greater than self. And Jesus' example of humility and trust taught us something about relationships, something we believe has the power to change our culture. Jesus loved people fully and wanted them to accept his love, void of the cynicism that creeps into just about every human relationship over time. In turn, he was never cynical about people. He always loved, always forgave, and like a child who never experienced the disappointments, betrayals, and selfish ambitions presented in just about every human relationship, he always believed that other people would be capable of loving each other the same way. He even forgave the people who killed him as they were in the process of killing him. So this is, again, seems to be taking the implication of the commercial much further than the actual message in the commercial takes it. Um... And I don't think it's even a representation of what Jesus is saying in these passages. He's not saying be a childlike in the fact that we accept the faith without questioning. I don't think. I think he's saying children are not valued, and therefore those are the ones that I'm here for their message. Maybe that's me um, no, I think that's... misinterpreting the passage, but I think it's a different interpretation of what Je- than what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew. No, I think that's a good take, but ultimately I think what these ads are trying to do, like you said at the beginning, is rebrand Christianity. So anybody that has a sour taste in their mouth of like some of like the extreme um, radical white nationalists we've seen that are associating that are associated with the evangelical church, they want to change that perception. So now when you think of Christianity, you're going to think of a little black kid and a little white kid hugging each other. And everyone likes that. Everyone smiles at that. And, um, and I really think that the whole the whole purpose of putting this childlike thing and they're not there's no message they're trying to spread. They're trying to change the image that people have of Christians. Yeah, and I think they're trying to take like these cultural conflicts that are going on in our society and mitigate the conflict by saying like the ones that are well, I don't know. We'll talk about it more. I don't know if I have a fully flushed out thought, uh, at least at this point. But I think that they, it's just like a way of looking at the conflict that's like, we shouldn't really be conflicting. Maybe you don't really understand the other side. But it's addressed to like the people that are oppressed. This next one is called Love Your Enemies. And the video starts with uh, pictures of people arguing People in a restaurant arguing, people on a subway arguing, um, very nice black and white photography, people on a fire escape, um, people on, a st- on the street, high school students, again, very ethnically diverse group of people. It shows some political uh, arguing going on, um, some young people with megaphones, um, there's someone on an airplane shouting, it looks like some of the... Uh, the COVID protests, um, some like Donald Trump looking supporters yelling, a lot of just anger and fighting going on in these photos. So far, no text, no words or anything. And um, then it goes black and it says, Jesus loved the people we hate. And then that fades out and it says, he gets us. So basically promoting this idea that Jesus talks about in the Gospels of loving your enemies. Yeah, 
Um, so, you know, again, uh, in uh, Matthew 5, uh, Jesus says that you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and you may be children of your Father in heaven. Um, so again, it does go back to uh, a biblical um, passage in Matthew. You know, I mean, I think that this the concept of loving your enemy is a uh, fascinating one in some ways. Uh, I think that it it depends on your perspective. I mean, I think on the one hand, if you're talking about a rejection of racial hatred or prejudice or privileging of um, your own genetic line over someone else because they're your enemies, if it's if it's um, Jews hating Samaritans or um, Germans hating uh, Jews or, uh, you know, Israelis dehumanizing Palestinians. I think that loving your enemy is a powerful concept um, where it says, you know, these people have been um, hated on and uh, it's my goal to um, love them. Now, if loving your enemy means that... uh, as you're a Native American, you have to love the colonizers who are murdering your people. Um, or if you're an antebellum uh, slave, that you have to love your uh, master. Then I think that this this uh, promise becomes much more problematic. So I think that there's, on one hand, you could take it as a uh, radical uh, social proclamation. And on the other hand, it could be a really regressive social proclamation. Um and so this ad is so decontextualized, both from the perspective of the words of Jesus, which are taken out of context, and also decontextualized as to what the He Gets Us campaign is trying to portray by quoting this passage, um, that it's hard to really have a take on it. I mean, I don't know what they're trying to promote. Through the images that they show, I feel like their notion of loving our enemy is more of the problematic notion from my perspective. Um, I don't think that loving your enemy means that in a democratic process that we shouldn't have lively debate or that you shouldn't stand up for what's right because someone on the other side is considered your enemy. I mean, I just think that I don't know what the implications are for what this ad's perspective is. Um, but it's, it's, it's just that when I think of the people that are putting together this campaign, it makes me highly dubious of uh, their motives yeah. for the way that they're framing this stuff. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, because how have they loved their enemies? How, is it loving their enemy to um, deny uh, women that work at Hobby Lobby um, health care or reproductive rights? Um, is it loving your enemy to, to do the various things that they support? Uh, I think they haven't actually exercised any of this loving their enemy, which is exactly why, um, people have just grown disgusted with, um, the evangelical church in America because of these things. And uh, again, this is just a giant rescue operation. And I think it's a little bit condescending to say, oh, if we show a bunch of like ethnic people, um, then then they will identify with it. And then that'll, no, people aren't that dumb. Yeah, and I think that even the scriptural passage is like more explicit in what it's talking about than what this ad is implying. So the ad is already, like, 
I mean, Jesus in, in Matthew specifically brings up like tax collectors as the example of <laughs> the people that everyone hates. Um, and, um, and he also says, you know, if you're doing, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So um, it seems as though the implication is like caring for people that are like yourself um, is not loving your enemy. And loving your enemy is literally loving people like Samaritans, like Gentiles, uh, if you're a Jewish Christian who Jesus is addressing at this time. Um, the the photographs that go along with these ads are telling, too. Um but again, I think it's just a way to reframe all of the cultural conflict we have and be like, we really shouldn't be having these conflicts. We should all be getting along. But it's like these conflicts that we have in our culture are along the lines of these divisions of marginalized people being losing their rights or marginalized people being left out of society. Or So this whole branding exercise is supposed to address marginalized people um and how they're being left out of the church but i don't think that the message is aligning with the branding is just branding the message is not really helpful to the marginalized people i think it's just reinforcing the message that maybe the marginalized people should learn to love the church that's marginalizing them a little bit more yeah so this next one uh, ben is one that uh, I know you were involved with a lot of conversation on Reddit with people, with evangelicals who did not like this ad at all and were disagreeing with it. Um, and I thought you, I thought some of your responses were really good, but this is one where um, there's actually speaking in the ad so I can play it audibly. So here we go. There was a mother and a father who had a son. They lived in a small village and didn't have much money, but they were happy. One day, they heard the head of their country was sending soldiers to their town because he thought they were part of an insurrection. The young family decided to flee. They grabbed only what they could carry and ran. They hiked for days, wondering if soldiers might still be following them. They were scared, hungry, and exhausted. But they were far away from the atrocities taking place in Bethlehem. That's all Mary and Joseph wanted, a safe place to call home. So then it ends with, um, Jesus was a refugee. Uh, and then it says, he gets us. So, um, I, I think that like one of the hot buttons in, uh, evangelical fundamentalist Christianity in America is this immigration topic because, um, the idea that Jesus was a refugee seems to be, uh, one of the most offensive ideas to Christians in America, according to what we've seen on Reddit. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I mean, I, let me just say, um, on just a level of the commercial itself, I actually love this ad. If if there was no group behind it with some dark money and secret agenda, like this ad is great. Um, 
and it got people so mad. The right wing Christians hated this ad so much, and um, so I posted something on Reddit. Um, Hold on, I should say, Ben, the uh, the video that uh, I just played while that while that speaking is taking place, it's showing um, the whole time it's showing pictures of you know South American refugees um, coming into America, um, and you know under the threat of violence and. Um, I think that's important because it's 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 basically the 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 point of the ad. The irony of the ad is that you think it's talking about um, South American refugees, and then at the end, it's saying that well, Jesus was a refugee. Yeah, I mean, part of what I do a lot of times is, um, or that uh, John and I do is like we have to dress up um, our biblical criticism in a way that. Um, makes it exciting. Um, and I think that um, this ad does a great job of misdirecting people. Like there's like a way to use anachronism that's extremely effective where you read back a modern concept into some sort of in, of uh, a story in order to um, make people recognize the details in the story in a way that is not the way that they read it most of the time. And I think this ad does a great job of doing that. Um, part of the pushback online was like, oh, it's not a one-to-one uh, perfect analogy between refugees today and refugees in Jesus's time. Well, honestly, like no one is really claiming that it's a perfect one-to-one uh, representation of refugees today and Jesus being a refugee. But I would say, and I think that this is like just, I mean, again, so this story goes back to Matthew and Matthew's birth account, uh, birth narrative, um, where they have to, Joseph and Mary and Jesus have to flee the slaughter of the innocents under Herod. Um, as Herod is killing all the, the children under two years old, they flee to Egypt. Um, they stay there. Herod dies. Um, they come back to Bethlehem where they live and are directed at the last moment by a vision to go to Nazareth where they now settle. This is very different than Luke's account. Um, this is probably, I mean, the slaughter of the innocents we know, um, we have no historical attestation to, was probably not a historical event. Um, but it is part of the tradition in Matthew that Jesus traveled uh, in order to flee political violence to another country and then returned uh, in secret and, again, because of political violence or the potential for political violence, had to settle not in Bethlehem but in Nazareth. Yeah, instead. and the important part is that evangelicals believe that story. They like like yeah. that, this, his, yeah. this is not historical. Historians don't believe that this happened. We know that there was no slaughter of the innocents, which is the entire premise for the story. That's not the point. The point is, the evangelicals, the Christians, say this is historical. This is something that really happened. The idea that they want to parse out the fact that, well, it's a different type of refugee than what we're seeing now, that's absurd. The, there are um, commands throughout the entire Bible, not just the New Testament, but the Old and New Testament, about how you should treat foreigners and foreign workers and, um, and people that are seeking asylum, people that are seeking help over and over and over um, throughout the entire Bible. And to try to say that, and ba- the reason they're ultimately saying this is they're saying, no, we don't want to show kindness to refugees seeking help in America. We want them deported. We want them out of here. We don't want them in our country. 
Ultimately, that's what they were, they're saying, which is the exact reason they're trying to make these ads. They're trying to make these ads to change the perception of how Americans view Christians or how people that aren't famili- that familiar with Christianity, how they view evangelical Christians. And I think it's ironic that the evangelical Christians hate this ad because, yeah, the criticism that the general public has with American Christians is absolutely true. Like the, the criticism is absolutely true, which is why these people have a huge problem with it. And um, I think that the way they were acting on Reddit, they, they weren't just like offering up some a little bit of pushback. I mean, this was a hot button. They were fired up about this. It was like incredible theological gymnastics um, and verbal gymnastics, like in order to avoid the... So it was like examples of the argument were like, well... Jesus was legally immigrating back and forth. Okay, like, no, he wasn't. Like, that's not they in were the story. And, like, he wasn't. Like, who was he legally? He went to Herod and was like, oh, we're going to go to Egypt now to avoid you. Like, it makes no sense. Or they're like, the Roman Empire controlled all these areas, so it wasn't really crossing borders. And I'm like, okay, well, like, again, um, th- yes, it was. Um, the uh, Just because, like, the Romans controlled everything. I mean, the whole purpose, the whole, like narrative purpose is they're leaving an area controlled by one person in order to not be in right. an area that's controlled there were by literally i mean like it doesn't work the story doesn't work if you don't have them leaving some area of control of exactly. herod to be safe yeah, there was literally people after them trying to kill them that they were fleeing from or they're like oh he wasn't really a refugee he's the lord of all the <laughs> oh, earth okay and it's like well then nothing that he experienced right. means anything I mean, he didn't really die because he could have just, like, taken himself off the cross. I mean, like, you know, this is, like, the whole point of these ads is, like, to identify with the human Jesus. So, you know, okay, so then nothing Jesus experienced we can identify with. Okay, so forget these ads all all together. And then, like, finally, my favorite was, like, okay, well, maybe Jesus was a refugee, but these people today aren't really refugees. (laughs) Like, they're all a bunch of liars. They're not really refugees. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't. You know, so it's like maybe we Jesus was a refugee and maybe we should take care of refugees. But these refugees today, they're not real refugees. They're not the ones we should take care of. So it's like the real problem is not anything except you don't want to take care of refugees. And, And by the way, the Bible doesn't say anywhere when someone from a foreign land comes to you asking for help for you to really question them and make sure that, that they're not lying or that they're not uh, trying to pull one over on you. That's ridiculous. It's a, it's, it basically says, give them everything you have. I mean, they're called the stranger because you literally don't know anything about right. them. Like they are, they come from somewhere else and you don't know. So it's not, and, and then I used uh, Matthew 25 um, I said, well, you know, this is a theme that Matthew develops all all the way through his gospel about caring for the stranger, about caring for the foreigner. Like Jesus says in Matthew 25, you know, I was a stranger and you took me in. Um, and people said, oh, well, that only applies to my brethren. <laughs> because it says in, the, in verse uh, 35, it says, uh, you do to the least of these my brethren. And then I'm like, well, in 40 where he talks about putting the goats into the fire, he doesn't use my brethren. But then somebody put it in parentheses, oh, my disciples. And then I got banned from the Reddit Oh, great. Page. So you can add to the Bible to make sure that it fits your meaning. 
um, when it doesn't work. But if you question whether or not you should care for refugees, you get banned from the refugees. right. And I should I should say, um, Jesus, like the harshest words he has for anybody in the entire New Testament, are basically for those that aren't helping refugees. He basically says, like, yeah, depart from me. I never knew you, and then like cast them into the fire. So the idea that this is like the thing that modern evangelical Christians are going to bat for. This is the thing they're really going to like fight for is like not help the refugees. It happens to be the one thing that will like get them thrown into the fire according to Jesus. Honestly, that makes me question like their entire faith because if they're willing to do that, like could they possibly even believe any of this stuff? Um, but I, that kind of leads me to my next point, which is the like you said, Ben, you really like this ad. I like the ad too. And I think that, um, the, the part of it that bothers me is that what has this group actually done for refugees? The group that's paying for these ads, $100 million or whatever it is, I mean, that money could really do a lot for refugees. And I'm, I would venture out to bet that not only is that money not going to help any refugees, but that money is actually going to hurt refugees because it's supporting right-wing policies and, um, and supporting uh, politicians that are going to enact... Uh, policies that will hurt these refugees. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but we could probably just look at Josh Howley's right. record on uh, immigration and refugees, whether he's really living up to what this ad says that he uh, helped funnel money into. Right. So even um, though and, you know we may like the ad, ultimately I hate the ad because it's deceptive. They're trying to they're trying yeah. to lie about who they are and who Christians are, uh, what who what American Christians are like. Um, in order to change the perception of what people just think of Christianity in general. But like we've just shown by like listening to like what the majority of the Christians on Reddit had to say, they don't believe this stuff at all. Yeah, I mean, these people are really caught in a rock and a hard, between a rock and a hard place because they're trying to rebrand something, but they want to hold on to the original thing. They want to rebrand it to be something totally different. So this is purely just an exercise in um, trying to mislead people into like what they really think, um, because they don't really believe in any of this crap. Um, so these are like trying to get people into the door, so then they can feed them a gospel that like literally is the opposite of what all these ads seem to be saying, and. And I think, again, the ads are a problem because they're so decontextualized and um, don't really tell you what you're signing up for. Don't like they say something that sounds good. Um, if I'm coming from a secular perspective and don't necessarily have the religious background to uh, to go through these claims, I'm saying, look, well, yeah, I love um, I love refugees. Maybe I should get involved in the evangelical church. Well, if that's what you're thinking, I just want to tell you, no, don't or. <laughs> or if evangelicals actually started teaching this stuff. And that's really what I would love to see. Is a ref I mean, yeah. we're not on here saying like uh, Christianity needs to go away. We're like if it reformed um, and it actually did start taking more seriously some of the things that Jesus says in the Gospels, where it is caring for the refugee and by the way, LGBTQ people, um, then I think you know, and and it did support poor people, um, and it uh, it it actually tried to take people out of poverty, or whole communities out of poverty, and it was much more focused on giving and helping helping the marginalized. Um, those are all things that we would support on this show, um, but we're not seeing that. We're seeing oh, if we 
if we put this out there, if we put a bunch of like high budget image imagery out there to make it look like that's who we are, maybe more people will come into our church. Um, and so until I start really seeing like a widespread um, reform within the church or call it a liberalization, if you will, uh, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying any of this stuff. Um, yeah, I just want to like um, reinforce what you said. I mean, I think like the biggest thing ever is like there's a hundreds and millions of hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on these ads that could literally be spent to improve the material lives of people like refugees, like homeless people. Um, like the enemies we're supposed to love, but instead we're spending it on a rebranding cap campaign. Like Jesus never said, rebrand me. He said, sell all my, sell all your belongings and give to the poor. So these people are not, this is not a Christian endeavor. This is like a neoliberal endeavor to save the church. Okay. This next one is called Family Matters. There was a family. They played together and laughed together. But they weren't completely alike. And as they grew older, their opinions widened and they distanced from each other. Conversations became heated. Reunions became more and more uncomfortable. They thought they were made for each other. Mm thinking of one another brother aligned against sister never thinking just for one second birthdays were ignored gathering stopped because each had to be right we don't want then it says jesus disagreed with loved ones but didn't disown them he gets us. So um, d during that ad that you just heard, it's showing uh, pictures of families starting out like being loving families, all hugging each other. And then they start arguing and photos of um, people crying and families obviously uh, um, going through some dysfunction. And then it ends with, like I said, um, basically saying like, Jesus can identify with that too. This is kind of interesting because it's getting into, I mean, we did a whole, um, a couple of controversial episodes about um, hating your family. And uh, the New Testament is pretty clear that it, like, family values that uh, evangelical Christians have been pushing for years and years and years uh, are not something that you can really get. Those values are not really something you can get from the New Testament. Jesus says, basically, like, you have to leave your family. You have to hate your family. Don't call any man on earth your father. Um, like your new fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters are your Christian brethren. This new, your new uh, cult of believers, that, that's your new family. And um, I know that sounds radical, but that's um, pretty much like permeates to the entire New Testament because even the Apostle Paul talks about um, you shouldn't get married. Um, you shouldn't give your children in marriage. Um because you know the Lord is coming any day, and and um, and we get into the, that whole uh, apocalyptic view that Paul had. But um, I'm assuming the parts that they're talking about in uh, in the Bible here is in the Gospels, where um, I think it's in the Gospel of Mark, where they basically say that Jesus Jesus family basically thought 
he was that Jesus was losing his mind. They thought he was mad, and then um, and then you have a passage where uh, they say, "Lord, your your brothers and your mother are outside waiting for you." And then Jesus says, "No, my mother and brothers are those in here that that do my Father's will." Um, so I'm not exactly sure, like the theological backing for what they're trying to say here, other than saying that, like, yeah, Jesus had problems with his family too, but didn't abandon them. Well, I mean, you're taking some passages from the synoptics and then you're, they're probably saying, well, even at the end, Jesus, you know, wanted um, the beloved disciple to watch after his mother, which comes from the gospel of John. So you're, you're, you're really like uh, connecting a lot of dots there. It's not such a clear theological point in my view. Yeah, it definitely seems like this should have been more controversial than the refugee thing. Um, Because this is way less clear. I mean, I think like you could literally make the opposite case. And I could give you an example off the top of my head. Uh, I'll steal two of John's examples and I'll give you two of my own. So Mark, Jesus is uh, in Mark's gospel. They think Jesus is crazy. His family thinks he's going insane. Um, In John, the latest gospel, again, we have this... uh, um, interchange where uh, Jesus's mother and brothers are coming to look for him and he says like the ones who do the will of my father in heaven are my brothers uh, my uh, family so again a rejection of earthly family and uh, a recognition of the new collective of believers as his family um, and then you have the passage in Matthew where he talks about uh, he doesn't come to bring peace but the sword and he's going to turn uh, families against one another, and uh, in the Matthew redaction, you have to love God more than your family, um, and and then you have the famous passage that we bring up all the time in Luke 14, where he says, "You unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. So I feel like rooting these teachings in Jesus and um, what we have uh, attested in the Gospels that Jesus said um, even becomes more problematic for making the claim about uh, family. Um, like, I think, like, the, the by the plot of the Gospels, Jesus leaves his family behind. I think by the plot of the Gospels, the conflict with his family is resolved by him doing his mission, not by him not... Like, I mean, I think he does abandon his family in the Gospels. Um, and I think, like, again, yes, there's the passage with the beloved disciple at the cross, but I think, like, if that's what they're drawing this um, message from, I think this is the first ad that we have where, to me, it seems to be clearly saying something that I don't think can be um, backed up by the Scripture. I mean, I think the passage... Um, where Jesus tells the man uh, who is, says he has to bury his father before he can come follow Jesus. So Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Um, it's the same concept. It's, it's your family is not important anymore. It's your, you've moved on to a new life, a new collective. Like those relationships are uh, dead, according to what Jesus says. Um and your family is your brothers and sisters in this new collective of the disciples of Jesus. Um, and I think it's like, you know, the, um, I think it says in Matthew, like, there's no, you know, we'll be like the angels when we go to heaven. There won't be, uh, you won't be given in marriage. Or you'll be like the uh, eunuchs when you go into the kingdom. Like, 
the anti-family stuff is just everywhere. Like Jesus is saying, like, you cut off your ties from your family, you're part of this new collective. So I don't know, this ad seems to me um, to be the first place where their message seems to be way more cultural Christian and less like even rooted in some sort of a biblical passage. Yeah, it'd be interesting to make an actual like biblically correct version of this ad. And it to me, it would be something like, um, oh, this family that you have now, you should leave them all and have and join this new family. And that's a very like cultish thing to say. And it would look very cultish. It's like, no, this new group of people that you're not related to at all, um, come in there and that's your new family and reject your old family. That's actually what like the biblical picture is. Uh, but there's no way they're going to make an ad like that. Um, so the rest of these ads, uh, we don't need to play them all. I can kind of describe them quickly because we're running short on time and we have some other fun things we want to get to. But um, it talks about how Jesus was an influencer because now we live in like this influencer society. It talks about um, good times and you're having fun and partying and Jesus liked to have fun too. And he liked to let his hair down also. And uh, we can talk about that, Ben, if you'd like. I mean, I'm not really sure where they're getting that, I, other than the fact that... Um, it's like the wedding maybe at Cana, like, probably. That's what I was going to say, yeah. the wedding at Cana, where he turned water into wine. But it doesn't really, it doesn't really portray Jesus as a real party animal anywhere in the uh, New Testament. Um, it talks about feeling alone and how Jesus felt alone also. And I think that is true, as you talk about leading up to the cross especially, um, and on the cross. And on the cross, right? And um, then it talks about um, anxiety, how Jesus felt anxiety. And um, the, the again, also leading up to the um, passion narrative, um, Jesus definitely... I wonder um, if uh, Jesus felt anxiety because he couldn't get health insurance through Hobby Lobby when he worked there. <laughs> I mean, like, right. you know, it's it's like hard to not get offended by this stuff because again it's so far from the ideology of the people that are producing it yeah and the people that are feeling anxiety or like financial anxiety for instance um well why don't why doesn't this group give them money instead of spending a hundred million dollars on an ad campaign like help some of the people that actually need help or here's even a better idea like okay you don't want to just go around and give to random people why don't you support policy mm-hmm that will, you know, make more programs available for the for these people or that will raise the minimum wage. Child tax um, credit, minimum yeah. wage, free health insurance for everyone. I mean, these policies could actually materially benefit people. Student um, loan forgiveness, like on and on. Yeah. Um, but it, but the, this group is against all of those things. So they're basically like, yeah, you have to suffer this anxiety that we are promoting constantly, policies that will give you anxiety. But you know what? Jesus felt anxiety too. So to me, that's why I think this stuff is disingenuous. Yeah. I mean, I feel like these ads are like version, like they're like watered down versions of sort of like left wing tropes about Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus supports universal health care. Like, I mean, that's kind of true. Like, in the Bible, he's running around healing people all the time. So that was the kind of stuff that, like, left-wing people used to put out as, like, a progressive, like, way for people to think. And these are just, like, watered-down versions of that. Well, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, yeah. too, because they're trying to gain the credibility of what left-wing Christians would say. 
So a lot of this stuff is really like what a lot of like left-wing Christianity has been saying year after year. We talk about it on this show a lot. And but yet what they're actually trying to get you to do is to go to some local white evangelical church because th- these are the people that are supporting this. And um and ultimately uh n- none of the policy that the political policy that is supported would end up helping refugees or helping people who are anxious. Um, or people feeling alone, etc. There's another ad here called Dinner Party, where it the whole point of the whole point of the video is that uh, Jesus included everyone at the table, and um, and again, like their their biggest policy is like anti LGBT rights. Yeah, like they're not inviting those people to the party. Like yeah. the evangelicals that I know would tell you, don't go to a gay wedding, don't support your your gay son or daughter. Um, at their wedding, um, and again, that's completely opposed to what this ad is saying. Yeah, so if they know, would, it's like doesn't even make sense. Like you are literally saying, like everyone's invited to the party, but also my other hand is literally trying to keep people from having to like make a cake for a gay wedding, or like we're literally letting people discriminate against people, or denying health care for uh, women, or. So not everybody's invited to the party, according to your ideology. Uh, right. So to make a long story short, I mean, that some of these ads I like the spirit of, some of them I don't. But ultimately speaking, what I don't like is they're disingenuous. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem. It's just they're totally dishonest. Right. They're, they're trying to portray um, the type of Christianity that they are as something that they are not. And someone like me and you, Ben, who came out of, you know, white evangelical right wing of right wing world. Um, we know that this is disingenuous because we know what the people are actually like and what they're actually trying to support. And all you need to do if you don't believe us on this is go into a Christian Reddit group and just talk to these people and see what they actually care about. These ads are not for them. They're not geared for them. The actual people that they're, you're, they're trying to get you to go into their churches, but the actual people that go to those churches, they hate these things. Mm-hmm. They don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, that's a really good summary of this whole thing. It's a dishonest campaign to trick people that have certain values to go into a place and a space where those values are not what people believe. And uh, those values will be undermined by the people that are there. So let us know, guys, what you think of these ads. I'm sure you've seen them. And um, we know uh, it's generated a lot of conversation online. We really want to hear from you. Uh, We'd love some feedback on what we talked about here and and our take on it. Um, Like it or hate it, we'd love to hear uh, what you guys thought of this. But um, let's move on to a new segment we're going to do tonight called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly where we take a verse or verses from the Bible and we dissect it and talk about what we like about it, what we think is good, what we don't like about it and we think is bad, and any ugly aspects of it. So for the first edition of this, I am going to do Hebrews 11 verse 1, which is talking about faith. In my church, we had to recite the shorter catechism and the children's catechism when I was a child. And um, this verse was relevant to one of the questions, but it ta- it basically defines what biblical faith is. And I'll just read it from the King James. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So that's Hebrews 11, verse 1. So 
Let's start talking about the good. So I think the first part of this verse is good. If we talk about faith, if you define faith as the substance of things hoped for, that's basically saying, yeah, faith is the thing that you hope happens. So if you have faith in life after death, let's say, if you have faith in some sort of a a heaven to be reunited with your loved ones, you're not saying that, you know, I, I have any real reason to think this is going to happen. It's just something I hope for. I don't really have a big problem with that. You're not declaring it to be true and, and telling everybody else, like, you have to believe this thing. I, I know it to be true. You're saying, I have faith. In other words, I have hope um, that it's true. And I really, I don't know about you, Ben, but to me, I think that's a good notion. Um, anything that... Um, Anything that you hope to be true, if you want to define that as faith, I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think on the one hand, it's um, it sort of like mitigates the certainty that comes with faith because it's saying like it, the substance rests in like what you're hoping for. So faith is not like an assurance. It's like something that you hope will come to pass and trust in. And I think that that's like something that is encouraging um, because like the, for the reasons you laid out, like we hope that there's a restitution of um, relationships that we were in or an afterlife where we can be together with loved ones. Um, and I think that um, part of the issue that we have is like an over um, confidence in faith or treating faith like it's something that's like extremely certain um, or based on some sort of a certainty. And I think that this passage sort of um, decenters that and says like, no, it's not a certainty. Um, it rests upon hope for the future. And your faith is something that relies on um, not an evidentiary uh, hope, but just like the substance of the things that you're hoping for. Yeah, so I think this verse kind of lays out really like two competing views of faith um, and marries them together because um, if you define faith as a hope, I really don't have a big problem with that. And I think um, it can actually be a good thing. Um, you know, like I have, I have faith that humanity will overcome climate change. That basically is me saying like, that's my hope. That's my desire. I, I don't, have any um, foreknowledge or supernatural ability to tell you that this will happen. It's just something that I'm um, kind of rooting for. I don't have any problem with that. But the second part of the verse now comes to the bad. The second part of the verse says, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now this I have a huge problem with. This is maybe even like my biggest, one of my biggest criticisms with religion in general. Because what you're saying here is, oh, the evidence that this thing that I'm telling you is true is the fact that I have faith in it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So, well, I have faith in it, so that's evidence that it's true. And it's really encouraging believing something without evidence. Uh, because the evidence, the evidence it, is the faith itself, which I think is leads to all kinds of problems. And I think it's one of the biggest problems religion has when, um, when people make claims and, they, and 
what well what's the evidence well the fact that i believe it it's kind of like well the bible says it well how do you know the bible is true because the bible says it's true and it's a it's a circular argument and um it's a fa- it's actually a logical fallacy yeah it's pretty fascinating that these two concepts ended up in the same verse it either makes you reinterpret the first part of the verse in a way that takes away sort of the good <laughs> um but yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think like once you start talking about faith as an evidence or evidence, then you lose the good part of the first uh, part of the verse, the uh, the part where, you know, faith is based on hope. Well, hope is not evidence. And, um, and not only is faith the evidence, it's evidence for literally things you can't see. So now I can make any claim for anything without evidence and the faith itself becomes the evidence for it. So, right. um, yeah, you can see throughout, um, history in Christianity, but also just like history in general, when people start making claims that don't have to have any type of evidence behind them, how that can create huge problems. Yeah. You don't have to be super creative to think of the problems you're going to get into when you basically say my faith is evidence of its truth, which is really what I think this verse is saying. Um, because people can just claim anything and um, and back it up without evidence, but just by but just by simply by stating it and stating that they believe it, which is hugely problematic. And that kind of leads me to the ugly. So to me, the ugly is the outworking of that, where you have um, people saying, "Well, you did not have enough faith. That's why your child died," or um, "You just need to trust." You need to trust this uh, this leader who turns out to be a child abuser or whatever. Um, no, evidence is important. Evidence is probably the most important thing. Um, once you abandon evidence in favor of just basically trusting what someone tells you, um, possibly on the uh, persu- possibly because you're persuaded by how passionately they state it or how firmly they state it or how how upstanding their life is. No. Go by what the evidence says, not by um, how emphatic it's being told to you or how emotional the person um, delivering the message is. Yeah, I 100% agree. I don't even know if I need to add anything. I think that's just 100% right. So that was our first segment of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It's also a fantastic spaghetti western starring Clint Eastwood directed by... Sir Giuliani. That's right. Uh, highly recommend that for any uh, film buffs out there or um, anyone interested in a good movie. But um, I think that about wraps it up for today, Ben. What do you think? Yeah, I think we did a lot. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully people will find this discussion of these ads uh, interesting. We're just going to finish with a quote from uh, Bart Ehrman uh, from his book Forged. One of the ironies of modern religion is that the absolute commitment to truth in some forms of evangelical and fundamentalist Christianity and the concomitant view that truth is objective and can be verified by any impartial observer have led many faithful souls to follow the truth wherever it leads. And where it leads is often away from evangelical or fundamentalist Christianity. The Skeptic's Bible Project is a John and Ben production with intro music by John Lobker. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 
Skeptics Bible Project. And follow us on all social media platforms at Skeptics Project. Got questions or comments? Email us at skepticsbibleproject at gmail.com. Thank you.